If you look at other markets like the UK, for example, what they call the equity release market, which is you know the reverse mortgage market here, is about five times as penetrated on a population adjusted basis as the Canadian reverse mortgage market. And that is really because in that market, they've really reframed the product as really a mainstream retirement planning solution. Basically, just the best way for people that have a disproportionate amount of their wealth in their homes, which is effectively you know, the majority of 55 plus Canadians, to access that part of their wealth pie as part of their overall retirement planning. And I think that that's the direction that we're going to go in Canada. I think there's definitely increasing acceptance of this product in Canada. And I think that trend is going to continue, especially with rising home prices when people just kind of realize what kind of retirement could be available to them if they actually consider their full financial picture as opposed to just the resources that were in their RRSP or their you know, savings account. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Ben McCabe from Bloom Finance. Ben is the CEO of Bloom. It's a new entrant in the reverse mortgage space in Canada. He's got a background in fintech and previously worked as the coup for Thinking Capital, which is a small business loan fintech that is absolutely massive. And so Ben saw that there's some opportunity in this space, in the reverse mortgage space, and he thought that they could do a fantastic job of serving clients, reducing friction. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation I have with Ben. A couple of things I took away. One, he's really taking the concepts from the fintech world that he was in previously to reduce the friction for seniors, making it really easy for them to release equity from their homes. They're very competitive in terms of rates and pricing. And one of the cool things is that you can either do the file yourself like you normally would, or you can hand off the client to them and they will take care of the entire transaction for you and keep you in the loop what's going on and still pay a 200 basis point. So again, reverse mortgage, if it makes sense for the client, it is awesome to have another option that you can actually share. Before we jump into that though, today's Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage about pre-approval campaigns and we talk about this one client, the guy that he knows, who's like kind of the king of pre-approvals and how he's using technology to do that. Finally, I want to give a huge shout out to our title sponsor at Finmo. They are a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, and submission platform. We've adopted them personally at our brokerage because we train lots of new agents and we wanted something that was easy to learn because we're like, hey, you got a lot of things to learn here. You know, how to do the sales, how to do the underwriting. And so we didn't want the technology to be a hindrance or trip them up. And we found that the adoption and feedback on Finmo has been amazing. So you can check those guys out, finmo.ca slash ILMB. It only takes a couple minutes to get set up and just give it a test drive. I'm telling you, it is some of the smoothest tech that you're going to find. So thanks again for uh, being a listener. Check out this episode with Ben. Check out bloomfin.ca to get a quote, to connect with them, to get set up as a preferred mortgage broker. Or you can always email ben at bloomfin.ca if you are a broker owner or you have a bunch of agents that you want to connect them with. I think it's awesome to see more competition in this space. Thanks again. Hey, Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Great to be here. So before we jump into you and your story and kind of Bloom and all of the cool things you guys are doing, maybe in 90 seconds or less, tell me what problem does Bloom Finance solve? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the problem is that too many people in our parents and grandparents' generation are living with you know, real serious financial anxiety, right? And are making significant sacrifices in their quality of life because they don't have sufficient, you know, liquid financial resources. The reality is, is that life expectancy has grown, cost of living has gone up, and there are, you know, literally millions of seniors who have concerns about their ability to sustain their standard of living through their full retirement. I'll just give you a couple of stats. You know, the average baby boomer in Canada has less than $180,000 in their RRSP. And four to five seniors don't think their pension and savings are going to be enough to last them through the full retirement. But at the same time, 
Over 60% of Canadian seniors own their homes. The vast majority of those have paid off all the mortgage debt or most of the mortgage debt on those homes. So there's a solution to that problem and they're literally sitting inside of it. So all we do at Bloom is try to help them access those resources. Right. That's fantastic. Okay. We'll dive more into Bloom and how you guys are different from some of the competitors in the marketplace in a minute. But tell me a little bit about yourself. What were you doing before this? How did you end up CEO of Bloom Finance? Yeah, sure. So I actually don't come from the mortgage industry initially. For Bloom, I was COO of a company called Thinking Capital, which was a uh, first mover in the Canadian fintech space and is still Canada's largest non-bank lender to small businesses. So basically kind of leveraging technology to help businesses you know, easily access funds to invest in their businesses and grow. And before that, I worked in Toronto for the private equity company that owned Thinking Capital. And before that, I worked in real estate investment banking, one of the big banks. Okay. So what did you do at Thinking Capital? What was your role there? I started out manager of special projects. So I initially went over to Thinking Capital and it was supposed to be like a six-month operating secondment from my private equity career. But I ended up staying for closer to four years because I kind of fell in love with operating, fell in love with the team and running a business. And then I kind of worked my way up to various different roles. I'd spent some time doing corporate development, so acquisition type stuff. And then I became COO and in that capacity kind of just oversaw all the different operations of the business. So, you know, technology, marketing, sales, finance, you name it, just trying to make sure the trains run on time inside the walls of the building. And what's happened with Thinking Capital? Like, where are they at? They get an exit? Yeah, no, Do they expand? Or what happened to them? Yeah, no, super, super successful business. I mean, like I said, they were kind of a first mover in kind of non-bank lending to small businesses and leveraging technology to do that. It's been an amazing growth story for them. I mean, it's a, it's a great value proposition. They're still, to my knowledge, the largest non-bank lender to small businesses in Canada. You know, kind of restaurants, retailers, that type of thing. You know, people that need $20,000, $30,000 to renovate their kitchen, you know, et cetera. That's the kind of business they do. So, you know, I spent four amazing years there. Loved it. But personally for me, I always knew that I kind of wanted to go off and start something and build something myself. So kind of towards the end of 2019, early 2020, I decided to kind of take the leap and start Bloom. Right. So you're like the Tim Cook, the operating guy from like Apple, right? Is that, I mean, you're like, oh, Scott, I call it. that's a pretty high bar. To, but I'm like, that's what I was thinking. Like, yeah, yeah, you're saying, you're saying I, I think being good at operations actually is very important in running scalable businesses because otherwise well, sure. everything grinds to a halt. And um, I mean, for me, I just like to know, I mean, obviously I don't do every job in the business, but I like to know every job in the business, right? I like to notice all the different elements and, and how they all work and what makes everything tick because you can't really make good strategic decisions unless you kind of know how all the different elements and all the different functions interact. Right. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So tell me about like, how did you get into this industry? How did you get into the reverse mortgage space from non-bank small business loans to reverse mortgages? Like what's the path to there? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'd say kind of from the perch that I had at TC and kind of just my involvement in generally the Canadian, call it alternative financial services landscape, I had a pretty good vantage point of where I saw like other areas of opportunity in the Canadian market, of which I think there are tons because obviously we have kind of a bank oligopoly here. And well, you know, banks have been innovative on certain fronts. You know, there've been certain areas where they certainly haven't been, you know, ahead of the curve in the same way that some of the smaller fintech and financial organizations in other countries have kind of been driving, you know, innovation and financial services forward. So I kind of saw the reverse mortgage opportunity kind of a few years ago. I was looking at the market and I just saw kind of a confluence of a number of different trends that I thought were going to, you know, cause like significant expansion in this market over the next 10 years, right? Like obviously rising home prices and aging population, really high home ownership among 55 plus Canadians. And, you know, in a lot of cases, inadequate retirement savings and, you know, defined benefit pension plans are not nearly as common as they used to be. And so we're in a situation now where, you know, the average Canadian senior has roughly half of their wealth in their home and are building a retirement plan around the other half. And I didn't think that made a whole lot of sense. So 
I figured that over time, this market was going to grow significantly. And I thought that there was work that needed to be done to kind of change the narrative around this product a little bit and make it a lot easier and simpler for 55 plus Canadians to access the wealth in their homes. And so I figured it was definitely a project worth pursuing. So, okay, you touched on something there, change the narrative. And I agree with you. If you look at the demographic shifts that are happening, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why the reverse mortgage market is going to be expanding in the coming decades. So what narrative did you see and what narrative are you guys, you know, wanting to replace it with? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, think in Canada, I think we can't really shy away from it. You know, I think a lot of people have thought about reverse mortgages. There's a stigma attached to the product, right? I think, and a lot of that has to do with you know, bad actors historically, mostly in the States, not really in Canada, but, you know, very high rates of interest. There's a number of borrower protections that are associated with the product now that didn't used to be associated with the product. And so I think that reverse mortgages have historically been viewed by some people as a product mostly for, you know, seniors who are at or approaching a state of financial hardship. If you look at other markets like the UK, for example, what they call the equity release market, which is, you know, the reverse mortgage market here is about five times as penetrated on a population adjusted basis as the Canadian reverse mortgage market. And that is really because in that market, they've really reframed the product as really a mainstream retirement planning solution. Basically just the best way for people that have a disproportionate amount of their wealth in their homes, which is effectively you know, the majority of 55 plus Canadians to access that part of their wealth pie as part of their overall retirement planning. And I think that that's the direction that we're gonna go in Canada. I think there's definitely increasing acceptance of this product in Canada. And I think that trend is gonna continue especially with rising home prices when people just kind of realize what kind of retirement could be available to them if they actually consider their full financial picture, as opposed to just the resources that were in their RSP or their, you know, savings account. TFSA or something. Okay. So equity release, it's an interesting like way to think about a reverse mortgage product, specifically with the UK. Do you have any ideas why you think they're like five times more you know, bigger. Yeah, sure. than- I mean, there's some structural reasons in terms of regulations around traditional mortgages for, you know, seniors in that market. But I think well, like really the main reason why it's so penetrated there is the insurance companies like, a, you know, Aviva, for example, is one of the biggest players in that market. Mm-hmm. They got behind this product a long time ago, and they've done an amazing job of really positioning the product as it should be positioned, which is a retirement planning solution. I even like the wording. I prefer equity release to reverse mortgage. So I think it really does a great job of describing exactly what this product is, right? It's releasing equity from the home, right? Just as you'd release equity from a, you know, RRSP or, you know, some type of other retirement portfolio. The life codes there have done a great job of repositioning the product as kind of a mainstream retirement planning tool. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So when did you see that there needs to be some narrative change that, you know, for this product to be better understood, but when did you really think that, okay, I can take the stuff I learned at thinking capital and apply it to this, you know, vertical. Tell me about that. I think the thing that we really did effectively at thinking capital was kind of rethinking the origination process for a small business loan, right? This was a market like reverse mortgages that was historically dominated by banks and followed kind of bank thinking and was kind of limited by you know, legacy bank technology infrastructure and, and all that type of stuff. And at TC, I think we kind of look more holistically at like what information fundamentally needs to go back and forth between the lender and the customer in order to be able to underwrite a file and originate, right? And what is the most, you know, simple and comfortable way to do that? And I think, you know, we had developed a really good playbook there to be able to really quickly, really efficiently, like within 24, 48 hours, get all the information we needed from a borrower and turn around that capital to them because, you know, for small businesses, when they need money, they usually need it really quickly. And so I think it was just that same type of thinking, which is, you know, how can we or a new player that's not limited by legacy technology, that's not limited by, you know, legacy systems and structures, 
go in into this market, the home equity release or the reverse mortgage market, which again has you know historically been obviously bank dominated, and rethink you know what is the simplest, most comfortable way that we can get the information we need to create a satisfied funded customer. That was the idea that we kind of take a playbook that worked in one segment and apply it to a different so segment. The use of technology, simplicity, and speed in the small business loan space, and then apply that same structure to yeah exactly i mean and i think the nuance that's a little bit different in this sector is this won't always be a click click fund you know very fast decision right when a small business needs money to invest in their kitchen because their fridge broke down right or their oven broke they need that capital really quickly i think with a reverse mortgage it's much more of a thoughtful kind of thought out decision it's a decision that you know impacts the family it's not like they wake up one morning go, oh my gosh i want a reverse mortgage it's like no exactly and, and then funds right away that's not the case in this space, but I want to make sure that if there's going to be a sales cycle, there's going to be a long process between, you know, initial kind of introduction and introductory conversation with the customer and funding. I want to make sure that that's because the borrower is trying to make the right decision for them and not right. because of our processes have gotten in the way and slowed down the gears. Right. I see. So basically the idea is to apply the frictionless philosophy that you had with TC to this vertical and make it so that the customer has ultimately a better experience. Yeah, I mean, I think the vision that kind of grounds, you know, what we're trying to do here is that we think that accessing equity from the home should be as simple and seamless as accessing funds from any other retirement wealth account, like an RSP, like a high interest savings account. Like ultimately where I want to get to with our business and kind of like the North Star that guides us in terms of how we want to leverage technology and leverage kind of thoughtful process creation. I would love to just be able to get a borrower's name, address and date of birth. And then be able to do everything else in the background and pull information from other sources, you know, public data sources, APIs, you know, you name it, to be able to finish our underwriting and fulfillment process. Obviously, we're not there today. We're not going to get there tomorrow. But that's kind of the North Star that guides what we're trying to do. And all the kind of incremental process improvements that we make are kind of targeted towards achieving that ultimate objective. Right. Oh, that's cool. All right. So what's the response been like for mortgage brokers? Yeah, I mean, it's been great. You know, I think mortgage brokers are you know, central to our strategy, our growth strategy in Canada. I think if you're trying to build a mortgage business in Canada and you're not putting mortgage brokers at the center of the equation, you know, good luck to you. And I think that we've given a lot of thought to how best to create our structure and work with mortgage brokers. So one of the things that we do a little bit differently is we have an inside sales team and we're experts in this product. And we really know how to get the process done efficiently from beginning to end. So when we're working with mortgage brokers and agents, we can do one of two things. If the broker agent won't actually take the file really stay in the middle of it and really kind of run the file and run all the nuts and bolts from beginning to end, they can do that. But alternatively, what they can do is they can just basically send us the file as a referral. We can take it, we can run the whole deal internally, get it done quickly, get it done efficiently, and it doesn't impact the compensation that the broker gets. In that case, that's you know, the compensation would be the same. Right. You hand off the client to you guys, you'll make sure that the client gets everything taken care of. Like we would normally, we would have to do all the work in a normal mortgage scenario, like mortgage situation. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Our structure, it works really well. I mean, for reverse mortgages, it kind of follows a bit of a 90-10 principle in Canada where like 90% of reverse mortgages are getting done by, you know, 10% of brokers and agents. And for a lot of people, maybe reverse mortgages aren't a you know central part of their business, right? Where it's what we do. So kind of the structure that we employ there works really well for brokers and agents who maybe don't do a lot of reverse mortgage volume. Like we did a deal last week, for example, with an agent who had never done a reverse mortgage before. He had a bit of a tricky deal where brother and sister had inherited a home from their mother who just passed away. And the brother had actually been living in the home, acting as primary caregiver for his mother for a number of years. And he wanted to you know, stay in the home. So he wanted to buy his sister out, but he didn't have any income because he'd been acting as primary caregiver to his mother for the last couple of years. 
So the agent was having trouble finding a deal that worked for the brother in kind of the traditional mortgage market, but he realized the customer was, you know, in his late fifties, he could qualify for reverse, but he'd never done one before. So he basically sent it over to us. We were able to kind of run the deal end to end for him, but we kind of managed to, you know, make sure that the broker was still very much engaged in the process, still kind of managing the relationship and able to kind of follow along throughout that full process. So, you know, next time he knows how it works, but, you know, we were able to get that deal done for that agent, even though he'd never done a reverse mortgage before. Client's really satisfied. He owns the house out right now and, and the agent looks like a hero. So I think it was a you know great situation all around. Right. That's awesome. Okay. So tell me about what has been mortgage brokers kind of most excited, surprised about the way you guys handle this. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the kind of things that have surprised people is most people assume that there's going to be some type of drawback of working with us, right? Because we're like a non-bank lender. They probably think, you know, the rates might be higher. Maybe they think our LTV grid's not going to be competitive. And so I think, you know, the fact that when we actually go through all those kind of core dimensions for, you know, either competitive or better on most of them, I think that that surprises people. But I think one of the things that's most surprising to people is just like how quickly we can get the process done. I'll give you another example. So we've done a lot of thinking around kind of how to reframe the process, especially around the appraisal and take the burden of like the home appraisal off of the customer, move it kind of over to us. So we pay for the appraisal upfront. And in most urban locations, we're using like desktops and drive-bys. So in a lot of situations, the customer doesn't even know the home appraisals happen. And so basically last week, we had an agent that actually had done reverse mortgage with us previously. He sent a deal over to us. He hadn't actually done a bunch of work on it. He really just had the kind of bare bones of what the deal looked like. But it was a borrower in his early age. He owned a single detached property in Hamilton. He wanted to reverse. The family knew that they wanted to reverse. And the broker agreed that a reverse was the right option for him. So he sent us over the deal on Tuesday morning. We had a 15-minute call with the client that morning, got all the information we needed. We ordered a desktop appraisal. We got that back later that day, unwrote the file that evening. And the following morning, made a decision on the file. And we got a commitment out to that client Wednesday afternoon. So like literally right. within 36 wow. hours of the broker receiving the lead, we turned around the commitment to them. So I think that that's kind of the process. Yeah, that that's quick. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay. So what type of mortgage brokers do you find get the most value from what you guys do? You think 10% of mortgage brokers do 90% of reverse mortgage type business. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I think for a lot of brokers and agents, reverse mortgages today aren't really at the center of their business. It's not like what they're focused on necessarily. I think that's going to change over time just because I think the market is going to continue to grow and more brokers and agents are going to see the opportunity. But you know, certainly I think our process, the way that we are able to kind of take a deal and run with it on behalf of brokers and agents, you know, works really well for agents and brokers that maybe don't do a lot of reverse mortgage volume, that haven't done a lot of reverse mortgage you know, volume historically and aren't necessarily kind of experts in that product. You know, I think that our system works really well for them. But equally, if it's a more seasoned broker who's an old hat with reverse mortgages, they can run the deal themselves as well. But brokers and agents that maybe don't have that much experience with reverse mortgages can benefit from our solution and our process. Because you guys actually handle a lot of the work of it. Okay, so on a typical mortgage or reverse mortgage, what do you guys pay? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, so we've got our preferred brokers program, which pays 200 basis points up front on any uh, initial draw. And then it also pays 50 basis points basically over the life of the reverse mortgage on any subsequent draws. And like the life of a reverse mortgage could be 20 years. So if the customer, you know, doesn't take the full amount up front and they come back, you know, 10 years later and they want to take another 50 grand, the broker will still get comped on that subsequent draw. I see. So um, you actually qualify them for a global amount and then they go, oh, I want, you know, I've qualified for 500, but I only want 300. Yeah, that, exactly. That would work? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that amount would be available to them subsequently to draw down in the future. Okay. And that 200 that you pay for a preferred broker, is that even if they hand it off and you guys do it? Or is that just like- Yeah, yeah, there's, the yeah no, they don't need to do the work. We're totally agnostic to how involved they want to be. That's totally up to them. They earn their commission by sending us the deal, whether or not they work it or we work it. Okay. And then where can people find you online? www.bloomfin.ca. And we also yeah. have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. 
So I'll put a link in the notes of this as well. And so if somebody's listening to this and let's say they run a team of mortgage brokers, they got a bunch of agents that work from, will you come and do like a chat with them and talk about reverse mortgages and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. We do that all the time. We have sessions, we have seminars, we talk about reverse mortgages, we talk about us. If somebody's listening to this and you're like, hey, you run a team and you, I think it's a great product. It's awesome to have more competition in the space because there's not very many competitors. The fact that you guys will handle like the whole thing if you want, and you can make up to 200 basis points if you're preferred broker, like that's pretty amazing. And again, you know, if it makes sense for the client, this is an awesome solution. You guys are going to be well received and you're probably going to, you know, make some of your competitors not happy, but that's life, man. <laughs> that's all you can do, right? Well, I think there's a big pie and I think that the size of the market's a lot bigger than what's currently been tapped. So I think there's a big opportunity for all of us that are landing in the space. Yeah, I think it's awesome, man. I'm excited to see, you know, some more entrance into this space and it's pretty cool. We've already had some conversations about some of the unique uses for reverse mortgages and we're going to continue on upcoming shows. You'll hear on Ask the Expert segments where Ben's going to share some just different use cases that people you know haven't thought of or just things you have to think about in terms of when it comes to reverse mortgages. Because I think, like you said, it's a narrative thing, but it's also an education thing. Even brokers need to understand when is this actually a great solution and often they don't know that. So that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, as a broker, you're looking at credit, you're looking at income, and I'd recommend that you also think about age, right? Because uh, if a borrower is over 55, you might not have initially thought about it, but maybe a reverse would be the right option for them. Right. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much, Scott. Hey, Tom, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Great to be here. So, hey, what's the topic we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, so today I want to talk a little bit about pre-approval campaigns and follow-ups and really all the activities you'd be doing pretty much from that pre-approval to the point that they come back to you with a property in mind. I think this is very important that mortgage brokers to not assume just because you had a good connection with them that they're actually going to come back to you or they're not going to get distracted or somebody else is not going to take them. So for sure, pre-approval follow-up campaigns are valuable or are certainly necessary. So what are some of your like insights or thoughts around how to do this well? Yeah, well, I mean, before I get into kind of the how-to, like one thing just to touch on what you said, just how valuable it is, a kind of an interesting story. So I was talking to a big team and they were looking, you know, at options of different, you know, CRM tools. You know, they had a, actually a pretty big sales team. They were down in the States. And there was this one guy on their sales team. It was like almost like a legend, right? They kept talking about, okay, you know, we like you, Tom, but you got to talk to this guy. You got to talk to this guy. And so this guy really got built up and he was really kind of the critical point in this whole exchange. And so finally it felt like forever. I got on the phone with this guy and sat down and he just started going through his day and what he did. And this is a top guy on like a top sales team. And he said, I spend just about half my day looking at everybody who I've pre-approved that, you know, pre-qualified down there. And I just call him. Think about that. Like top guy, all he's doing 50% of his entire time is he's calling these pre-qualified people. And that just blew me away. But this was the top guy there. So, I mean, all that to say, you know, that the value that absolutely is there to be doing these types of follow-ups. Yeah. And I'd say there's a reason that he's a top guy because he understands that the sale's not done just because you've got the first application from them, that it's going to require multiple follow-ups. Okay. So you guys through Blue Mortgage, you guys have some like campaigns that are built in. You also see what, you know, some top brokers are doing in terms of follow-up campaigns. So can you share some sort of insights that you have from like all that data that you've aggregated from, sure. you know, all these users? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first thing that people want to kind of think about or wrap their head around is how often should I be following up, 
right? And I mean, you can take the extreme, like the guy I was talking about, he did it, I think, about once a week, maybe even more frequently than that. But where I say people usually start is around maybe once a month, maybe that's a good place to start. But I'd say maybe twice a month is maybe that sweet spot. That's where people usually end up once they maybe get used to some of that cadence, that sort of thing, that twice a month seems to be just about right in terms of, you know, workload for you and staying in touch with the customer. And so that's kind of the first thing there. And then the next thing people usually ask me about is, okay, well, what should I be sending them? I don't want to be in their face. I don't want to be annoying. And I first of all say, you know, don't worry about that, right? They'll tell you if you're being annoying, but more so, you know, just provide value. That's the ultimate thing. And I think the tendency, especially being a broker, is to provide value through, you know, financing tips and things like that. But, you know, take the mindset of your borrower at that time. They aren't thinking about interest rates and terms and, you know, these different things. They're trying to find a property, right? And that should be the frame of mind you take that if you can provide value, when it's relevant to them and how it's relevant to them, that's what's gonna resonate with them. They're gonna remember you, not even necessarily the content. And so then when it is come time to financing, you know, you're still top of mind. Right, that makes sense. So when in terms of frequency, you said twice a month is sort of like the baseline what people should be looking at. You say a month, I think like I personally would not do just monthly. I think it's too infrequent, but that's my, so I think twice a month is like, you know, a good starting point. And then in terms of what to send, you know, so can you give me an example? So like, are people sending out just like short messages? What would a typical follow-up look like that you've found that's been effective? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's kind of two ways you can go. So I talked about value. And so sometimes value can be, you know, being very informative, right? So I think that's a, a mindset you can take. And that might be a bit of a bigger email. And that's, I think, one route that is effective. We've seen people do. But really, the only other route we see, if you're just checking in, it's just being short and sweet right, is having that and that can actually take the form of an email or maybe even a text, right, just that really quick check in saying, hey, how are things going, something that people are actually going to read, I don't need a ton of colors and graphics and that sort of thing, because I don't know about you, Scott, but whenever I see those emails, I just delete it. It's just a quick check in, hey, how are things you good, and you know, you're top of mind, maybe they respond, maybe not, but you're being effective in staying relevant to that borrower. That's a good point. So you can either go the value route. I think you should mix it up anyway. I don't think it shows sure. you the same. Yeah, yeah. Or the value, okay, I'm going to show you something once in a while, or I'm going to be like, hey, short and sweet. Hey, just checking in. How are things going with your house hunting? Question mark. Like really simple. And I agree with you. The more it looks like a one-to-one email versus a one-to-many, the newsletter with your big grid, they're like, I'm not listening. I'm not even paying attention to this. So <laughs> yeah. it needs to feel like Tom sent me the email because he was concerned about me and just checking in. Exactly. And I'm going to respond totally. to Tom. Okay. And then you touched on modality a little bit. So in terms of mixing it up, so what are some of the different ways that people can, you know, some of it can be automated, some of it you have to do. So like you can obviously automate the emails, but some of it, you're going to just be reminders. Hey, call the person that's been three weeks kind of thing. So like what other kind of things you see there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think email is common, especially for those informative things. Text, like I said, is really good for those short, quick messages, even calling, right? I think that, you know, whatever you're comfortable with calling is good. And I guess maybe to rephrase what I just said, it's not just about what you're comfortable with, but what your borrowers are comfortable with, your clients are comfortable with. Everyone likes to communicate a different way. I love email personally, but other people I work with love texting, so I'm going to communicate with them that way. Meet your customer, your client, how they like to communicate. And the best way to find that out is to kind of mix things up a bit. So as you're kind of going through that cycle, try those different things, email, text, phone And the ones they respond to, you'll be like, oh, okay, great. They seem to really respond to the, yeah, that's a good point. Here's my sort of final thought on this, and I'll, I'll get your final thought, is that most mortgage brokers do not follow up anywhere near enough, like not even close. One of my buddies who's a coach down in Houston, he'll call his every six days forever. 
like yeah. forever. Like, and he gets so much business from that. And most of us, I think as Canadians, my Canadian listeners, I'm speaking to you right now, is you're just too polite. You think, oh, I don't, I'm like, <laughs> sure, look, yeah. if they don't want to answer the phone, they won't pick it up, right? And so like, just follow people. And what I think about is if you go to a fancy restaurant and you order your food and the waiter brings you your food and they never check in on you at all, not once. They don't see if you need more wine, more water. Are you like, wow, what is he doing? Is he in the back just like messing around or does he care about me? And I think if you take the mindset of my follow-ups, whether it's, you know, email or text, whatever you're doing, it's like, I'm showing them my service. I'm showing my communication level. Absolutely. And if you think that way, you're going to get more clients because people are like, wow, before I could even ask for water, they're there. Like good restaurants, yeah. you're like, holy crap, they've already My glass it. is always full, right? Glass I always have always a full, full glass. I yeah. never have to reach out to my mortgage broker because he's always reaching out to me first. And what I love about what you guys have built in your tools, it's very easy for totally. mortgage brokers to build this kind of follow-up sequence. Don't put it in your head because if you've got more than one file, you're going to be screwed use a system like Blue Mortgage to be able to take care of it and manage it for you. So that's awesome. So what's your final thought on this whole pre-approval stuff? I would say, I mean, I think you summarized it well, but I would just kind of say, hey, the results are in. There's value in this, right? There absolutely is value. I have no question in my mind. I think you would agree, Scott, that doing any kind of thing is going to be better than just that quick initial pre-approval and nothing, right? There has to be that follow-up and the value is there to do it and it can unlock a ton of value. And so what that looks like for any one person can be very different. Don't feel like you have to fit a mold, but understand what works for you and what works for your clients and go towards that. And I think if you follow those two kind of guidelines, you're going to have a lot of success. Right. And my last comment is more is better than not more. So do whatever you're doing right now, do more of it. That's all the last yeah. thing I'd say. Thanks, That's Tom. That's right. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.